things have mainly centered around Jerusalem, and then Samaria, then Antioch, and now it's starting to move in all kinds of different directions. The gospel is on the go, and that's what we've called this year, Christianity on the Go. We're trying to learn about how to stay in motion. Uh, the last thing we need to do is to solidify and become concrete. Uh, so there's a, um, I think I told you this, this there's a, uh, two old ladies um, watching a man. Uh, he was a pastor. He was out. He was an old guy wearing his suit, his cap and everything, and he was pushed, putting down the finishing touches on some fresh cement on the um, footpath. And some kids came around the corner and he was sitting there whistling and singing hymns and praises to God to those two kids. Three kids came through and right through his cement. And he stood up and he yelled at him and he threw his trowel down. And those two old ladies looking over there said, he sure do like the kids in the abstract, but he don't like them in the concrete. That'll get, you'll find that out in a few minutes. But we, we Christians concrete, <laughs> we kind of just sort of just slow down and we come, we become stuck and we need to keep moving. So we're going to talk about preparing for the second missionary journey. God was doing a lot of preparing with these men. So gospel teamwork is a big deal. A lot of people think the gospel work is only done by super people, super pastors, super evangelists and super missionaries. But, you know, it still is true that many hands make light work. So every ministry in a church needs not just one person, but teams of people. We are a body. We're not just letting a few people do a few things. They always say that in a church you have 80% of the work being done by 20% of the people. And I've always fought against that. I want 100% done by all of us. That's our job. That's our, that's our privilege because God uses people. He doesn't use programs. He doesn't use apps. He doesn't use buildings, organizations, or religious, religions. He uses flawed, imperfect, timid, humble people who are just willing. So in Acts 13, God starts off with just two men. He called them, as we just looked at that verse in Acts chapter 13, called two men, just two. He called them to a new work. And it was world evangelism. They, they didn't have an army behind them going along with them. They were sent out and they didn't know where they were going to go, how far they were going to go, how long they were going to go. They were just going to go. And I remember when, when God called me to be a missionary, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't even know where Ireland was. I mean, Texans really don't think about anything outside of Texas, okay? So, because Texas is so big, you just never think about anywhere else. But there was such a, an excitement in the unknown. And Paul and Barnabas, they headed off into the unknown, and they never got over it. And, uh, but it was never going to, those two men were never going to be enough to do the work of the gospel ministry. They were never going to turn the world upside down like it needs to be. And they were never going to be enough to reach the entire world. So God is about to add to the team. God's about to add some helpers to it. And he's going to send them out again. And uh, uh, it's, it's just marvelous watching here in Acts chapter 15. By the way, he's still adding to his team still today. So let's start there in verse 25. Acts chapter 15. We'll go back, uh, back to verse 25. We were talking about this last week. But um, I want you, want you to, to understand something about what just happened because 
um, this will be the this will be the foundation for what's about to happen in Paul and Barnabas and other people's lives. Acts chapter fifteen, verse twenty-five. Now this is this is James, not the apostle, but the stepbrother of Jesus, writing a letter, and it's now scripture being sent out to all of the Christians, especially the Gentiles who are getting saved. He says, verse twenty-five: Is he good unto us, being assembled with one accord? to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore, and he names two of these men, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. They're gonna be able to tell you that this is what we, by multiple witnesses, tell you this is what we say. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So we're not gonna ask you to do a thousand things. She's going to ask you to do four. Verse 29. Number one, that she abstain from meats offered to idols. Don't eat food that you know has been offered to idols. And don't eat blood. And don't eat things strangled. Now, that's not humans. <laughs> but we're talking about animals that you don't know how they died. Um, and and you abstain from fornication. From which, if you keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well, verse 31, verse 30, sorry. So when they were dismissed, they came all the way back up to Antioch. They left Jerusalem. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered this epistle. This is an official letter. This is part of scripture now, verse 31, which when they had read those Christians, they rejoiced for the consolation. I want to talk about the effects of godly standards of living. I didn't have time to talk about it last week. And I want to kind of just throw out something to you, folks. Um, we were, let me stop here for a second. We were saved to live differently. Uh, you're, you're, you're a man who marries somebody and never changes his life, never changes his schedule, never changes what he prioritizes is not worth being married to. When you get married, you're supposed to adapt to the new life that's in your, in your life. And, and we were saved to live differently. As the Bible calls us and says, I God says, be ye holy. For I am holy. That's my calling. Go to Titus. You can leave here for a minute. Go to Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. <clears throat> Titus. We'll find 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then Titus. Little book, chapter 2, verse 11. Now, before I read this, I want you to understand, you're never going to be saved by living holy but you are saved to live holy. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's look at this. Titus chapter two, verse 11. I love these words. For the grace of God, not the law of God, not the works, but the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to, not just to an elect, not to a select, but to all men. And what does grace teach us? What does God's kindness teach us? That denying, that's our job, ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should now live how? Watch those words. Say it with me. Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present, I'm going to add a word, evil, dark world. While you're, while you're in this world and you're striving and you're struggling to live right, verse 13 says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of these days we're going to be out of here, and I think it's very soon. So we were saved so that we can live soberly, righteously, and godly. That means denying some things. That means setting some limits. Now, 
you, if you've got a dog, um, you know, that dog, you know what that dog, when, when you brought that dog home, uh, that dog did not imagine that dog was going to be a slave. That dog thought, I'm free. This is the best place in the world. I love my owners. And, and so, but when you take that dog for a walk, what do you do with him? You put a leash on him. You limit the dog. Now, the dog wants to be free, right? And so do we. Now, what's wonderful is if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you are free indeed. The, Holy, the, 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 the Son of God paid for our judgment of our sin and made us free. But there is a responsibility on me to limit my freedom. I'll tell you about this in a minute. <clears throat> um, our liberty is for more than our benefit. You're in Titus. Go to left. Find Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Galatians 5 and verse 13. Galatians 5, 13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto, amen, Jesus, come unto me and I give you rest. Come unto me and I'll give you true liberty. We've been called unto liberty, 5, 13. Only, here's our limit, use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, just because you should abuse it and use it for your own gratification, for your own benefit. But by love, now what should you do? What are the next three words? Serve one another. So yes, you've been made free, but use your freedom for others. Did you get that? Yes, you've been made free, but you use your freedom for others. Go to 1 Corinthians. Go back to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Speaking of food and diet here, Paul talks about all kinds of different things. We don't have the time to go through it all, but he speaks of limiting your diet as a Gentile. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, but take heed. All right, well, let me start in verse 8. I want to talk, but meat, your food that you eat, commendeth it not to God. Oh, I only eat vegan. Well, I'm a carnivore. I'm this. That doesn't make you any closer to God. Neither if we eat are we the better. Neither if we eat not are we the worse spiritually. Now, it does help your health, but not your spirit. Verse 9, but take heed, pay careful attention, lest by any means this liberty, you can eat what you want, this liberty of yours become not a stumbling block to them that are weak. So make sure that your freedom, I mean, uh, you know, that, that you have in Christ doesn't offend and turn people off from ever getting saved. Now that's, that's revolutionary to some of you because all you do is do what you want to do. And Christ called us for better. Christ calls us to limit our liberties. So the, um, uh, uh, the, um, the letter there that James wrote um, sets liberty, limits on our liberties. Four limits of how you should live. Number one, no fornication. Fornication is a big Catch-all, that means any sexual sin outside of marriage. That's what it means. Some people think that fornication is only sex, you know, before marriage. And adultery is sex, wrong sex after marriage. And no, fornication includes homosexuality. Fornication includes pornography. Fornication includes, includes lesbianism, transgender. Fornication means any sex that's not within your marriage. And what does the Bible say? Abstain until you're married. That used to be the common wisdom of the day. 
It used to be expected that you waited until you got married. Well, that's gone out the window. When was the last time you heard of anybody that actually stayed a virgin? You're not going to hear it. The world has just trampled on human flesh, human dignity, um, uh, purity, decency. They've trashed it. Well, I hope we take it back up. It was a problem back then and it's a problem now. Live a pure life is a good thing. A pure thought life. You know, if you're a woman, I, I tell you what, you better think long, a lady, if you're a young lady thinking about getting married, you better think long and hard before you say you love that guy. Because I until I'm allowed and your dad's allowed to check him out, I wouldn't trust him. Because they're wicked out there, folks. They're ungodly. And some of you have been saved out of that. Some of you, God has cleaned up your mind and you just say, by the grace of God, I'm still alive. God should have killed me years ago. No fornication. And then after you're married, keep it pure then too. There are too many guys that get bored and they're on the internet and they're with friends and they're doing things, watching movies that are defiling their marriage. It's getting awfully quiet in here. Set limits on your liberties. Do you know, I said it last week, you cannot go to hell now. That's liberty. That's the work of Christ saving a wretch like you and me. He saves and he keeps, but just because I can sin and not be condemned anymore doesn't mean that I should sin, especially in the areas of here. So he says, no fornication. He says, secondly, uh, oh, let me come back here. Secondly, I have a godly diet. You don't eat foods offered to idols. That's demonic. I used to listen to records, and I, uh, when I got saved, I, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds. I was only 17 years old. I didn't have a big team job, but I, all my money went into music. I started to find out that these musicians used to dedicate their songs, especially Kiss, Nate's and Satan's Service, uh, used to dedicate their music to the devil. And they'd call over incantations and all these things over their music, and I was listening to that stuff. So one time a preacher encouraged us and said, why don't you burn and break your records? Well, some of them wouldn't break. <laughs> they were indestructible, so I burned them because I know they're demonic. The songs I gravitated to were heavy metal stuff, stuff that we stayed up at when I was 14 years old. We'd stay up listening to some of that music. They found backward masking and all that stuff. We didn't notice backward masking. We just knew the forward was scary. <laughs> we stay up all night because we couldn't go to sleep. We were terrified after listening to it. That's what I grew up with. Then I got saved and I burned it. Never wanted to listen to it again. Clean, your, clean, clean up your diet from eating foods offered on idols. Don't eat blood. That's demonic and is disease ridden. And no eating unknown meats. There's more disease in an animal that, that you don't know how it died. And there's a reason why you limit your diet and you do these things. Number one, it's for the conscience of the lost. You know, if people look at you and they still see you going through all the things that you've always done, they're going to wonder, why does he tell me to get saved? He's no different. She still talks like a sewer. So there's got to be some change in us. And this was mainly for the Jews. But I'm going to talk to you about it. There's a bigger view of this thing. The reason why we limit our liberties, why we don't do things that everybody else does. I mean, I, I look, I limited my liberty. I remember watching one Homer Simpson and after that one Homer Simpson, I found myself laughing at it. I went, I'm never watching it again because it was ungodly. I never watched, um, oh, what's the um, Hogwarts, um, Harry Potter. Never watched those movies, never read the book. 
Now, I just set that, put that limit on me. I never watched The Passion of the Christ because I don't want a, a movie to affect my view of the cross as I read in the Bible. I limit my liberty. I can watch all that stuff. It won't send me to hell. But it'll probably affect me emotionally, spiritually, mess up my thoughts. Every, every, every image you watch and you see stays there, doesn't it? It's funny. You forget everything else except those pictures. But anyway, back to this thing. It's for the conscience of the law. Secondly, it's for personal maturity. If you can't say no to a temptation, you're a baby. And it's time to grow up and be able to say, you know, sweetheart, just not going to watch that anymore. Not going to watch that series, that stuff every time, every program they're getting into bed, we're not watching that anymore. That is maturity. If you ever have the privilege of sitting down and giving the gospel to a Jew, don't eat sausages. Amen. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway and they're going to get over it. You're going to send them to hell. When you had the one chance maybe to give them the gospel. That's what James is compelling us to look at and go, what should I do for the lost? And also for good health. There's a, you know, there is a Bible diet in the Bible that says don't eat some of these things. And it's actually very healthy to have a good diet. So there's nothing wrong. All of these things are very good. Don't say, well, that, that's not for us. No, it's for us. And it's for the lost. And it makes you grow up. Now he goes on. That's my little stop there. Let's go on and go to verse 32, Acts chapter 15, verse 32. By the way, I guess I want to... Um, Mm, mm, mm. Have you ever heard this phrase? It is easier to keep something clean than to clean it up afterwards. You ever heard that? It is so true. And that's why we put limits on our liberty. Because I don't like trying to get right after I've gone wrong. So might as well just put some limits on there. Nobody, God never asked you to be a hermit. God never asked you to live on a pole somewhere like they used to do in the dark ages, trying to, you know. <laughs> It, they kind of had all kinds of ideas how to stay, keep away from sin. Now you're, gonna, you're in the midst of sin. But there's some things you can limit. Like you can limit your language. Amen? There's some things you should never, ever say again. I mean, I don't even like saying OMG. I just don't like to, I just think that that's just, that's a blasphemy. Why? I'm not praying. There's just, I limit my language. I limit the way I dress. I limit where I go. You're not going to find me going into a disco, except maybe bring somebody out. Amen. Some of you wish you could see me dance. I would put, take over the floor. And then my wife would kill me. All right. <laughs> Appropriately. Acts chapter 15, verse 32. Acts 15, verse 32. So we pick it up here. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words, and they confirmed them. Stop there for a second. Judas and Silas came along with Paul and Barnabas, and they were guest preachers. Now, I know they're called prophets. Prophets was a Bible preacher at that time. The, the Bible wasn't completely written yet. They're, they're still writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So these prophets were speaking New Testament truth before the New Testament was written. It was great. And when they came and they preached, it was such an encouragement. Did you notice? No miracles. All they did was they got people to think. All they got people to do was to trust God and to believe God with words. So when you come to church, we're still keeping the same pattern that they did in the first century. Oh, I wish we had all the miracles they had back in, but we still have his word, which seems to be enough for God. 
So um, verse down to verse 33. And after they had tarried their space, they were let go in, a, in, a, in peace from the brethren uh, unto the apostles. They went back to the apostles down in Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. He kind of wants to stay around. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. I just want to stop and just tell you, visiting preachers are a blessing. They were blessed with people who came in and were preaching, and they didn't have just, they had their own pastors and preachers, stuff like this, but a visiting preacher is a blessing, and we get one next week. And folks, I yearn that we have more, because you have a steady diet of me. But instead of you two, why don't you pray for some real live human breathing preachers to come and minister to us? Because they're a whole lot better. YouTube's too polished and too twisted. And may God raise up among us men who will minister. Because there are plenty of churches around Ireland that could use some encouragement. Visiting preachers are a blessing. And then verse 36, here's the main message here. Listen to Paul as he says these words. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. And let's see how they do. Uh, see how far I want to go down. I just want to stop there. Good. All right. So there was something stirring inside of Paul. Some days after, Paul said, let us go again. Let's, let's not just hang around Antioch. Now, they loved the church. That was their home church. That's where they always came back. They loved the people. They loved the preaching, the teaching, the ministry. But they were called with one word. Are you ready? Go. Go is the soul winner's rally cry. I must go and tell somebody. I got to go and give out a tract. Go is the gospel preacher's rally cry. Every week, you know what I'm doing? Preparing to get up and go again and preach my heart out on a Sunday morning or anywhere I can. Go is the missionary's rally cry. You know what gamblers Gamblers have this compulsion. I got to try again. <laughs> this time's my lucky time. If gamblers have that kind of compulsion to keep at it, keep at it, keep going at it, why don't Christians? I mean, we have something that wins every time we do it. We're always planting seed. We're always telling the truth. And the word of God always works in his way. Something was stirring in Paul and it needs to stir in us. So Paul says, let's go again. Let's go and check on those churches we started. At this time, there was more than a dozen baby churches spread across southern and central modern Turkey. Um, and um, uh, it's been almost a year since they had been there. And Paul worried about them. They didn't have email. They didn't have texting. They didn't have the way to know how any of them was doing unless somebody walked all the way 1,500 miles back, 700 miles back, and they says, let's go check on them. How many of you are a parent, and you go, it's awfully quiet in the house. I better go check on the kids. You know how he felt. He said, I, I, I worry about them, and Paul did. He says, let's, let's go check on those churches. Let's start some more. And then, actually, as they head off on this second missionary journey, they end up starting over twice the number of churches that they started the first time. This time, last time, they only went three months. Now they're going to go for three years. And they said, one other very important thing on going again, they said, let's train the next generation, which is absolutely vital for Christianity. You see, look at verse 37. 
Paul says to Barnabas, let's go again. In verse 37, Barnabas immediately determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Anybody remember who John Mark was? We've seen him before. John Mark volunteered back there in Acts chapter uh, 13, and then he turned around and went home. Remember that? Now that happens. Sometimes spiritual things are spiritual war, and it's overwhelming. But Barnabas says, come on, Mark. That's Barnabas. Barnabas is the best friend you could ever have. And if anybody in this room would ever have the desire to be a Barnabas, it'd be the best thing for any church who just sees people and says, I'm going to give them a second chance. I'm going to try and use them again. I'm going to try to encourage them again. Yeah, they failed again, but I'm going to be right there and pick them up and say, let's go again. That's Barnabas. I love Barnabas. So let's, these two are going to, try and involve more people this time, especially young men in the areas of the gospel ministry. They were, gonna, they were interested in giving them on-the-job experience. Now, I believe, uh, I've been to Bible college. I have a library of books that I've read. Uh, book learning is foundational, but that is not what makes a preacher or a man or a Christian. On-the-job experience makes you. Getting out and doing the work. You can teach a man how to plow, but until he's out there for eight hours, he does not know what he's doing. So Barnabas uh, picks John Mark. Um, and he saw potential in John Mark. Look at verse 38. But uh-oh. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them uh, from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So Paul's remembering he let us down. He quit. He went back. Paul brought that up, verse 39, and the contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas. Now, this is important. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas, he went ahead and took Mark, and he sails into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas, and he departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So Paul refuses to let Mark come and instead says, I'm going to take Silas. And the two of them, well, I think we ought to take Mark. And Paul's saying, well, if Mark's going, I'm not. <laughs> and Barnabas saying, well, if you won't take Mark, then I'm not going either. And the two of them got room, loggerheads. You hear that phrase? Christians never get upset at each other, do we? We always agree. We always just love one another. We just... Man, we're the, we're the friendliest on, no, man, sometimes, do you understand? Mm -hmm. It's just that dissension, and God's showing us this, and there's, there's something underneath we're going to see that's brilliant. This was a big disagreement, okay? The argument gets so heated, and it threatens to split up these two men of God and ruin their gospel work. Now, this was not doctrinal. There was a time where Paul had to rebuke Peter, had to rebuke Barnabas because they were getting sucked into this Judaizer thing of going, you have to be circumcised, you have to be a good Jew. And he rebuked them, but he never lost friendship with them. He never walked away from them saying, they're all, um, I never want anything to do with them. There was a time for them to be disagreeing and still be family. Watch this. Look at verse 39. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark, sails unto Cyprus. Ah, did he quit the ministry? Oh, that Paul doesn't understand me. I tell you what, he just so upset me. I'm going to go home. 
Not at all. He didn't quit. He didn't get angry at the church and Christianity is full of hypocrites. Paul's the biggest hypocrite ever. Folks, watch what happens. He stays with his calling, verse 39, um, verse, uh, verse 40. And Paul, that Barnabas, he's such a nice guy. I just, I can't get along with him. He just gives everybody a second chance. I would never give Mark another chance. And he chose Silas and departed, being recommended by their brethren unto the grace of God. He's still, they're all, they're both still loved and respected and backed by the church. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. The devil sought to divide those two men. The devil's a divider, folks. He divides marriages. He divides friendships. He divides and splits churches. He causes mayhem and havoc in countries. He's a divider. <laughs> God's a multiplier. What the devil sought to divide, God turned into a multiplication. These men never became enemies. They didn't. You know, it's okay to disagree with me. It is wrong to hate me. And it's wrong to say, I'm never going to listen to him again. Really? Is the devil, does he have that easy of a hold on you so that I can offend you so that you're upset at me instead of saying, you know what? I'm supposed to be in church. I'm supposed to love people. I'm supposed to pray for my pastor. And there's a little rough edge yesterday or today or tomorrow. And I'm going to love him anyway. That's Christianity. Where'd you go? I tell you what, most of us have watched the world tell us how to think and react. You better go back by the Bible and love one another. These men stayed faithful to their calling, and they're going to keep going and preaching. Do you know their methods stayed the same? Paul never challenged Barnabas on his methods. Barnabas didn't correct Paul for his methods. By the way, notice how nice Barnabas is and how rough Paul is. Now, you and I would gravitate to Barnabas, but which one did God continue to follow and record and to give us examples of for the rest of the Bible? Paul. Now, nothing wrong with Barnabas, but out of the two, the one that was going to get more of the job done was Paul. So sometimes when you have a pastor who's a little rough, pray for him. But also realize some things are getting done. Amen? And I don't want to be rough to offend anybody. But I do have to be rough because sin is, boy, it's in us. And when, when, there's, when there's a lack of, when there's apathy and there's a lack of burden for souls, expect me to get upset. Expect me to say, we got to get moving. Amen. But don't, I'm never going to be your enemy. These two men never became their enemies. And the church in Antioch stayed unified. You know, when two bigwigs split, you kind of expect the church to split because Christians follow personalities, don't we? Say, well, I'm with Paul. Well, I'm with Barnabas. Really? <laughs> Is that what you want? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You're in Acts. Go to the right. Just past Romans. Hit 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 10, First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. I beseech you, I beg you, that you all speak the same thing. Stay unified, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, same decisions. Verse 11. 
For it hath been declared unto me of, of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions. There's disagreements among you. Now this I say that every one of you I hear is saying, oh, I'm following Paul. I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. And I'm of Cephas. Cephas was another name for Peter. And then you had the whole spiritual group. Well, I'm following Christ. Well, watch this. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Why are you following me? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Folks, think about it. Why are we here? All for the same reason. Because Jesus Christ reached down, convinced us of sin, humbled us, broke us, got us to cry out, Lord, save a wretch like me. We're here for him. Not because pastor's a great preacher or a rotten preacher. We're here for him. So the church in Antioch stayed unified. They just These two men just went two different directions. Now I'll show you something. God does change Paul. Go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's amazing how... Uh, Paul, as, as kind of rough as he was looking at people, I mean, I get into you. If, if you and I ever met Paul, he'd size us up in two seconds saying, you're never going to go anywhere. <laughs> he's, just, he's just that kind of person. People have that kind of personality. They just size you up in 10 seconds flat. And he did that with John Mark. But God mellowed that heart. Look there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Paul's at the end of his life. He says the time of his departure is at hand, which means this, he's about to be beheaded. He writes to Timothy, up in verse 9, do thy diligence, talking to Timothy, to come shortly unto me. I need to see you. One last time, I, I, I need to just see you. I need to hear your voice. I need to fellowship with you, verse 10. Why? Because Demas hath forsaken me. One of my closest men who've worked with me for years, a band forsook me, having loved this present world. He went back into the world and has departed into Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So he says to Timothy, he says, and take Mark and bring him with thee. For he's profitable to me for the ministry now. <gasps> what is he saying? I realize I was wrong about Mark. Bring Mark too. I kind of want to apologize. I kind of want to, just fellowship with him all the years I've missed. Listen to that soft heart. Isn't that wonderful? So the gospel work continued. But instead of just one group of two men, what have we got? We have two groups with five. Uh, Barnabas and Mark go in one direction. And Paul and Silas, and don't forget Luke, because he's with them, going in another direction. And Paul meets Timothy. Chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, verse 1. See, Paul's team is about to get another member. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Then came he, Paul, to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. Now we know him as Timothy. But Timotheus is a wonderful, it's a, it's a Greek word that means dear unto God. You hear the word Timotheos. Dear to God, his mama named him, I guarantee you, Timothy. Uh, he, uh, named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, and was a Jewess and believed. So she was a converted Jew, a completed Jew, we'd say, which was a Jewess and believed, but, her fa but his father, uh-oh, was a Greek, and he was not a believer. Um, verse 2, 
which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra. So he had a good testimony in the church there in Lystra. Verse 3, him would Paul have to go forth with him. Paul says, I want you to come with me. And he took and he, uh-oh, he circumcised him. We're going to deal with this in a moment. Because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they, all, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. So Luke is back, I'm sorry, um, Paul is back in Derby and Lystra area by a map. Antioch is over in what is called modern Syria, north of Lebanon. And if you, if you watch the map, uh, Barnabas and Mark go to, to Cyprus and then from there head over up into Turkey. Um, but Paul goes up and goes and heads over to Lystra in Derby and Iconium. And that was kind of interesting because that was where he got stoned. You know, there are places I want to go back and visit, but that wouldn't be one of them. Okay. And he goes back to the very place where they stoned him and dragged him out for dead. And guess who he finds? A church and a Timothy. You never know what you're suffering, what your persecution you're going through, or what trouble that comes into your life, what it's going to result in. If you just stay the course, if you just keep your heart right, if you just rejoice in the, in the Lord instead of in yourself, Paul meets Timothy. And, and, this guy, Timotheus, now his father was a Greek, which means he never got saved. He never, it never says he was a believer. It just says his mom was. And his mom was a godly, born-again Jewess. She probably got saved because of her grandmother. If you remember, we won't go there. But 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, I remember the unfaith that is in you, unfeigned faith, which means the unfaked or the, the non-hypocritical faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded all, in thee also. A grandmother led her daughter to Christ. They're both Jews, and it was a big deal to us. I mean, you talk about how hard, ah, oh, my parents would never get saved. They're diehard Catholics. These were diehard Jews, and they got saved. And when grandma got saved, daughter got saved, and look at the fruit when the son, Timothy, got saved. And Timothy is the model pastor for us. Paul's not my model of what it means to be a pastor. Timothy is. You never know what you're going through for two generations down. And he had a powerful and a godly testimony in that town. Other people spoke very highly of him and his walk with God and his faithfulness to Scripture. Timothy was a gift to the work of the ministry. And it was also the result of Paul going through that stoning. And when Paul says, you want to come along? Timothy should have said, to get stoned? No. But instead, Timothy says, bring it on. <laughs> Timothy was delighted. Paul wanted him to go with him. Almost no one wants to have anything but a Hollywood mindset. That's the only thing people want to be like. And really? Most people can't read the Bible today for one reason, not because they can't read, but because Hollywood has so messed with your mind, you can't put five words together. Hollywood has ruined us. Your phone is ruining you. Paul uh, mm, wanted Timothy to come along and to, and to grow and to become a pastor and to... And to, to um, um, to just to make a difference in the world for God. And 
That's a, that's, that would be the greatest thing if somebody says, hey, you want to go? We had, uh, on Friday, there were 14 men, all from Europe. One guy was an American. He was from Bournemouth, but he's been in Bournemouth for over 20 years. But everybody else, Scotland, Bosnia, Serbia, Germany, Switzerland, all these guys, and they were all young men. Most of them were young men. Street preaching. Hand out tracks, singing. It, it, it stopped the crowds dead. They just stood there and listened. It was a delight. People getting the gospel. Young men. If you ever had the privilege, somebody said, why don't you come along, help us do some street work? You ought to say, yes, that's for me. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. Why? Why would he want him? To train him. Take your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Everybody wants to have, you know, oh, what's his name? Uh, Tom Cruise's mindset. Everybody wants to have the mindset of all of these rappers and people who are making all of this money. Everybody wants to, to be like them. Paul said, you know what I'm going to give you, Timothy? I'm going to give you my mind, my heart. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19. Paul says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send, here he is, Timotheus. Philippians 2.19, Timotheus, shortly unto you to the church, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state, when I know how you're doing. For I have no man, what's the next two words? I have no one like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Out of all of the guys who are with me, out of all the guys that I could send, all of them seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Wow. Paul says, Timothy, I'm going to pour my life into you, and I'm going to hope that you have my heart, my mind, my way of thinking. So Paul wanted to train him. Paul wanted, so what did he do? He adopted him. I think this is hilarious. Go to 1 Corinthians 4, 17. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. That's now Paul talks about Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 17. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved, not friend, not co-worker. I've adopted him. He's my beloved son. And he's faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Just for time, I'll read 1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, my own son in the faith, Philemon. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a slave, and Paul was in prison, and he was in prison with a slave, with a black man there who was treated worse than a dog. And what did Paul do? He went unto Christ, and listen to how he talks. He says, I beseech you, talking to Philemon, saying, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus whom I have begotten in my bonds in prison, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now is profitable to thee and to me. He's talking about somebody that nobody wanted, somebody that people trampled upon. He says, that's my son. That's how he dealt with other people, how he won them to Christ. He never saw, I'm above, you're below, we're better, you're worse. No, I'm trying to get everybody in the family of God. So Paul adopted him. And lastly, Paul adapted Timothy. Now we're going to get to that thing. Go back there. I need you uh, to go to Acts 15. Look at that verse again. Said that 
Paul circumcised Timothy. I thought we just settled this thing, Paul. We settled that you don't have to get circumcised to get saved, but he's not doing that. He's looking at his audience, looking at the people he wants to win to God, and he says, I'll never get into a, if I'm going to get Timothy with me everywhere I go, into the synagogue, sitting down with the Jews, witnessing to the Jews, eating with the Jews, Timothy's going to have to adapt. Watch this. 15, where are we? 16, sorry, 16, verse 3. Him would Paul have to go forth, have, have to go forth with him, and he took and he circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul never ignored the Jews anywhere he went. He actually prioritized them. He always was concerned about the Jewish people. And he knew the gospel was to the Jews first. So to the Jews, he always worked with, and, and anybody who worked with him had to be for the Jews as long as they also were for the Gentiles. So he circumcised Timothy. Not so that Timothy could be saved. Circumcision doesn't make you saved or anything like that. It just so that Jews would get saved. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I be free from all men, and we are. Nobody controls my life now. <laughs> Watch what he says. Yet have I made myself servant unto all. You see, I'm around a lot of Christians. That nobody's going to tell me what to do. You're not a very good Christian then. Because you're right. You have, the, you have the liberty. You have rights. You can do whatever you want. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you let those rights go every time you're needed. Every time there's a, a time that you need to serve, you drop yourself and you prioritize someone else. Let's keep going. Uh, chapter 9, verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews, what did he become? I'm saved, but I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, I lived as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, I lived as without the law, uh, being not without the law to God, but under the law of Christ. I never lived lawless, but that I might gain them that are out the law. So I didn't go, and people who've never known the law, did I, I never did quote, 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 all of the regulations, the rules of the Old Testament. They had no idea what it was. Verse 22, to the weak became I as weak. You ever gone to the hospital? Last thing you need to do, somebody's in there and they've got 57 different tubes coming in out of them. Last thing they need you to do is to just laugh and joke and, and just walk around, drink coffee in front of them. Why don't you sit down and just, if you can, hold their hand and just weep with them for a little bit. God's going to get you out of here. I'm praying, praying you out of here. I know it hurts. I'm going to hurt with you. Weep with them that weep is what Paul says. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made by myself. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. This I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. Adapting is a principle that we've forgotten. You know, folks, we don't bring our culture to the lost. We bring Christ. And if we have to change to earn people's respect, then so be it. We don't adapt the Bible, do we? We don't change the Bible. We don't change the gospel message, but we adapt our liberties. I'll give you an example. There's a guy named Hudson Taylor, about uh, nearly 200, uh, uh, over 100 years ago, 
1913, almost 200 years ago, I had to think about that. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. He spent many years as a missionary to China doing, getting absolutely nowhere with the Chinese because he was an Englishman preaching the gospel. He had great heart, but he was well-dressed. He wore a white shirt, hard shoes. He was shaven until he got his beard back, and he had this British accent. He was referred to as a black devil because he had this black overcoat he wore everywhere, which was the big deal, and the black hats that they wore, uh, uh, the top hats in, in from England. And he finally shaved his head. He grew a long ponytail. He wore Chinese clothes. He adapted his accent, and then people began to listen to him and began to win people to Christ. He adapted. What would... That's what he looked like after. I would never listen to him. Yeah, but the Chinese did because he was trying to win Chinese. Folks, let me tell you, the greatest honor I have when somebody says, you're American? I thought you were Irish. I go, I'm melting. This is wonderful. That's my highest goal is to not stand out. I don't wear my big belt buckle and fly my American flag. I don't do that. I want to be Irish more than anything because I want to win Irish. What are you willing to change about you? What language could you learn? What does God ask of you so that somebody who's very hard and won't listen unless you change? We've got to finish. Back to Acts 15, two more verses, and i got to be done. Acts 15, verse 4 and 5. I said 15, 16, 4 and 5. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them to decrees for to keep the, those list of four things that were ordained of the apostles and the elders which were Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith, and they increased in number daily. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see somebody saved every day. <laughs> I'd love to see churches started. Folks, uh, Paul was going around. The churches were there. He was starting new churches, but he was anchoring the churches, getting them rock solid, stable in the faith, the faith, that set of doctrines we believe from the Bible, getting people solidly in the Bible and in the gospel. You know, there are people in this room, you may be saved, but you don't, you could never tell somebody how to be saved. You don't know the gospel. You believe it, but you don't know it. Get established where you can say in five minutes how to be saved. One time I asked two Mormons who came over to our house, they came several times, they said, sit down here. Tell me how to get to heaven. It took them 30 minutes to weave around through all the things I got to do to get to heaven. I says, I'm going to tell you how to get to heaven in three minutes. <laughs> you should be able to do it. It's not complicated. You need to be established in the gospel. The greatest news you have is how to be saved. In godly leadership, he established the churches with godly leadership, not just some flash in the pan, fancy speaker, but people who knew the Bible, people that could be trusted established those the, the the leadership and they established him in soul winning folks we either evangelize or we will fossilize we got to be established this has to be something we just keep doing it's what i've been endeavoring to do here and in mallow and anywhere i can i love starting churches i want to start a dozen of them before i go home i yearn for silas's and barnabas's and timothy's and luke's and so many more 
to come along and help me do what Jesus started, what Paul and Barnabas then took off, and then Silas joined in Timothy. This is, a this is the deal, folks. Church is not right now sitting here right now. That's not church. Church is going. Church is being. Church is doing the gospel work. Because the world can be turned upside down again, I believe. They did it. With all the things we have, can we not do it again? So let's easily set our limits for the lost. Set our limits on our liberty. Say, you know, it's Sunday. I have the liberty. I can go anywhere I want. Yeah, you can go. But you limit yourself and say, I'm going to be in church. See how it works? Oh, I don't have to read my Bible. But I limit my liberty. I've got to read my Bible if I'm going to stay sane. You see how it works? Limit for the lost, for personal maturity, and for good health. And let's go again and again and again, being burdened about starting more churches. I am burdened about this guy. I've never met him from Adam. I hear a couple of different good things from other guys. He's in Ireland now for the last several weeks. And I talked to him on the phone. But I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm hoping that when he comes, we just fall in love with him and his wife. And we say, let's support him. Let's start helping him stay on that field. He, if you're going to preach the gospel and start from scratch, you need financial support. Let's see if we can do that. I want to do it. It's what I want to do all my life. Jesus did all the work to save this world. He did everything to save you. If you're not born again, there's nothing you can do to fix it. Jesus fixes it. If you're not saved, as you stand would you with me, would you bow your heads? If you're not saved, I want you to come talk to me after service. Stand with me, please. And every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know what it means to be saved, we sang that song. Saved, saved, saved by his power divine. If you're not saved, come talk to me. I'm sure you're very religious, probably very good with your life, but you're never going to be good enough. If you will need to be saved, come talk to me. But folks, if you are saved, let's, boy, don't leave it to the few being busy. We need help. We need workers. We need to be going, going, going. That's our rally cry. Father, we thank you and bless your name for giving us a glimpse into what you were doing back then. And that's, that's, that's the whole goal of the book of Acts, a glimpse into the activity that just turned the world upside down. Yeah, there were, there were politics going on and there were wars going on, but this was where you were. This was where the Holy Spirit was, at, was working and where you had your people doing the impossible, overcoming incredible obstacles. Lord, I want to do that again and again and again. Paul did it once, went around 1,500 miles, loved it, and says, let's do it again. And then he'll say it later on, let's do it again. And he just kept going and going. Lord, we, I pray that we catch that same heart, that same desire, that same rally. And I pray that we do today in Jesus' name. Amen.